Daniel and John, you have both been living with the Beethoven quartets for a long time. And in November, after having recorded on separate discs over several years, including just a couple hundred miles north of here, a couple of them were recorded for the Orcas Island Chamber Music Festival in Washington State. Now you've got them all together, but do you have feelings about those Beethoven recordings that you made, which now go back to the early 2000s, and now you're all done, but you're you're continuing on with live performances. Are there any kind of feelings about those early recordings? And, you know, are there things they could do differently, for example? Well, um, you bring you do bring up the main point and, and the, the kind of interesting aspect of the recordings that we made of the Beethoven Quartets. Um, we began this in 2004, and we were all in our late 20s, and... We had this, at that time we thought it was a brilliant idea, of let's record the quartets, let's record the Beethoven quartets when we are the age that Beethoven was when he wrote them. So uh, we were exactly the age uh, when he wrote the Opus 18s, when we recorded them. And then we continued on, essentially, when we, it, it was more than a 10-year gap before we um picked up the middle quartets and that's essentially how long it was when he he took a break from writing string quartets it was nearly a 10-year gap then they became a part of his life uh, all the way until his last days the one thing we didn't do we decided as 2020 was nearing and the 250th anniversary is coming up and at the urging of our uh illustrious uh, sound and sound engineer and producer Da Hong Situ, he himself a violinist. He said, "Do you guys really want to wait until you're almost 60 to record the late quartets? Because I know, you know, string players' fingers start slowing down, thinking vibrato stops working. You know, it's and why not get it while you guys are still in your prime? And let's let's just do this now. And he, you know, so he kind of talked us out of uh, waiting for the late quartets." Um, but in that, in that way, you asked about whether or not we do things, things differently. I think when we listen to ourselves, our young selves playing the Opus 18s, in many ways, as a you know wide-eyed, fresh-faced string quartet recording the first Beethoven quartets in our late 20s, it, it, there was, there's kind of an energy, uh, I would say not an immaturity, but certainly a kind of like breathlessness to our music making that kind of suits what... what what he was striving for. I mean, when he was writing these quartets, he was trying to make a name for himself. He was, in many ways, emulating his uh, the people, the composers that he admired, the Haydn and Mozart. And you know, when we were when we were recording them, in many ways, we were kind of looking up to the quartets that we admired as uh, as a young quartet. And and now that we are in a more mature part of our career we have settled into some place where we feel like we have our own voice now. We're no longer perhaps chasing ideal, which is not our voice. We are now settling into a voice that's uniquely our own. And in many ways, we feel like that parallels Beethoven's himself, certainly when he was writing the middle quartets in his 40s, late 30s and early 40s. And when he writes the lates, he's he's completely abandoned any, any uh, emulation and any mimicking that he had picked up in his 20s and was purely his own voice. And that's, um, we hope also that in our recordings that we're doing that as well, that we're not, we're not wed to things that we had heard when we were young musicians and we were just kind of exploring them as if he had just handed us the manuscripts yesterday and we're just kind of 
putting our own voice to them. The website of the Miro Quartet shows that you guys are also interested in following or recreating, exploring the histories of a number of other string quartets of the past. Could you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, as part of our plans for our, our own 25th anniversary as a quartet in 2020, um, we started talking about how we wanted to celebrate it aside from the Beethoven. And, one of the things that's become really important to us as an ensemble, as we've matured, as Daniel might have mentioned, is the concept of mentorship and how lucky we were as a young quartet to have older quartet musicians show us how they did what they did, um, help us rehearse, help us discover, help us learn techniques to perform in this medium and learn it really from the horse's mouth, if you're going to use that expression. And that concept of mentorship and tradition, our teachers and mentors back then also had teachers and mentors, and they had teachers and mentors. It's this continuation, this living tradition that's passed from generation to generation of musicians. And now that we're also older, we have our own young quartets, and we're trying to become aware of these gifts of knowledge and experience we were given and trying to pass them on. So in thinking about that, we started tracing our lineage back, you know, one quartet, two quartets, three quartets, and we realized that chamber music in the United States, the ability to do what we do today, traveling and playing this great music for audiences as our life, uh, there are some key players in American chamber music history that made it possible for us to do what we do. And a lot of these quartets, if you go back 100 years, a little more than that, they're important names that maybe most audience members and even some musicians in our own generation have forgotten. And what we decided to do was take three of those quartets, the Kneisel String Quartet, the Kohler String Quartet, and the Flanzali String Quartet, and these are quartets from the early 1900s up into the 1930s, um, who are doing new things. Uh, the Kneisel Quartet, the very first touring string quartet in the United States. They were the first to really make a living exclusively playing as a string quartet. They started the first chamber music series in New York City. Um, they traveled all over the United States. They were maybe the first live string quartet in this day before radio or recording that most American citizens heard. They shaped the world that we live in. Uh, actually, their first violinist became the head of the violin division at the Juilliard School around 1915. So our teachers studied with his students. Uh, a lot of our teachers and their teachers, their first chamber music experience was with this gentleman, Franz Kneisel, or his colleagues. So that was one quartet of the three. We wanted to recreate actual programs they played um, from different years, actual programs from different concert halls that are still presenting chamber music, uh, we chose the Schubert Club in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, we chose the Library of Congress in Washington, Washington D.C. Uh, and we also chose the Coleman Chamber Music Foundation in Pasadena, California. All of these are chamber music organizations that have been around for often more than 100 years, uh, continuously 
presenting this great music. So we thought it was an important story for us to connect to and to tell. And again, a lot of our audiences look to Europe for all of this history. And yes, there was a great 19th century and 20th century history in string quartets, but America has been so important and we're part of that tradition. You guys have a great quote um, that I'll sort of close the conversation with that I, I love on the page about the uh, the quartets of the past. Where you say, this is living music. This isn't a changeless, mummified tradition. The music, how it's played and how it's received changes through time. And uh, that just really, really struck me that the quartet groups that we're hearing, the music of string quartets, is just sounding different now than it was in the past and is reflective of its time too, wouldn't you agree? I, I think that's absolutely true and it's true on so many different levels. I mean, when we started to look at these programs, one of the things that struck us is just how these different quartets 100 years ago put together a program. Uh, for example, the Kneisel Quartet didn't feel the need to c include complete pieces in all their programs. They would happily sample three or four different individual music uh, movements from a string quartet and create kind of this buffet, this potpourri of different pieces together. And the audience had no problem listening to that. These days, if we were to say, you know, let's not play the whole Beethoven quartet. I just want to play my favorite movement right now. That is, again, we think, oh, how could you do that? You know, no one does that. Um, so it's not only how we listen to them, uh, over time, how the styles of playing, which if you hear the Flanzali quartet, quartet recordings from the 1920s, they have a very different style of playing the instruments than we do now, uh, that we can learn from, that we can like or emulate or not. Uh, and then also, as you were saying with the Beethoven cycle, even us, the same group, playing Beethoven, the same composer, over time, it changes under our fingers. What we love about it changes. What we hear in it changes. Um, and that is really what's so wonderful about this art form is that it's so multifaceted, uh, it's ever-evolving, it's living, um, and it will continue to live and change after we've, uh, after we've gone. <laughs> 